We are back. It is Tuesday, May 5th. 5th. El Cinco de Mayo. And Taco Tuesday. And Taco Tuesday. But it's all ruined by a virus named after a Mexican beer. Well, I'm pretty sure we're the first ones to to connect those dots. Yeah. I was going to say, a confluence of great things, but only made better by the return of second, a.k.a. third take. Debatably almost fourth take at this point. We are back. I already said what day it is. I'm talking in circles here. We've got a packed show, a ton of hot topics to get to, but we start with a very simple question. AJ and Danny, in your opinions, must an MVP make the playoffs? Or what sort of regular season success does your team need to have in order for you to be considered an MVP candidate? AJ, I hand it over to you. I'm thinking basketball specific, which is maybe an issue. Okay. But I think about an MVP, and their team has to be significantly above 500. Like, at least 46 wins. So that implies playoff contention, does it not? Yes. Yeah. That's – got to be in the playoffs 100%. Otherwise – like, because basketball is one of those games where the individual can have such an impact. So you can. I disagree with all of this. <laughs> okay. You disagree with we'll all get of to you, Danny. So you specifically in basketball, you think that you have to make the playoffs? No, because I don't even think. Be, because the individual matters so much in basketball, if you're the most valuable player in the league, your team's at least making the playoffs. Otherwise, I don't, you're not even, I don't that think that's valuable. true, though. I think. There is a there is a very good argument you can make where if you are putting up Frankie Smokes AJ, if you are taking putting up a a historic season or a historic level season, I'm thinking about Westbrook's triple double season, for example. But they make doesn't matter. Okay, but even if they don't make the playoffs, there, I think Westbrook's still the MVP. And I know that that's not what most people would say. I don't necessarily think that. Being close to playoff contention is a must-have for an MVP. I think that if you are the only reason your team is not the way, if you are make your team from worst in the league to 500 while putting up top of the league numbers and have all the nerd stats to go with it, like that's an MVP campaign to me. But I just go ahead, Sam. I think to AJ's point, I think it's inconceivable that that would happen in basketball. That you could be the best player in the league that year and your team missed the playoffs. Like, who would your example be that even comes close to supporting that? Because the only example you brought up was someone who made the playoffs because he was so good. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> All right, AJ, what were you gonna say? I'm just – yeah, I'm just thinking that like there's been no situation where you look at a player on a bad team and be like, wow, he's he's probably the most valuable player in the league this year. So AJ- Like part of value is winning. Otherwise, it's empty stats. Like Bradley Beal wasn't even an all-star this year, and he's averaging 30 points a game. Yeah. Like you See, I think that Bradley Beal should have been an all-star this year. I think without okay, that. Like been, you, the point is you you can argue it, but it's like one of those things where like – Putting up empty stats on a bad team, you're not actually adding value. You're adding fluff. I disagree. You're the only reason why your team is competitive night after night. In Bradley Beal's case, 
absolutely should have deserved to make the All-Star team. The Wizards are right? competitive every night? When did that happen? <laughs> Without Beal, like, they lose yeah, the but you, The point is, like, you're making an All-Star case for him, but could you ever make an MVP case for a player on a Wizards team that's five games out of the East? It would be insane to suggest that Bradley Beal deserves the MVP this year. If Bradley Beal averaged a triple-double, then I think he's definitely in the conversation. But you, if you have a that kind of season and the rest of your team is absolute hot garbage, then I think you are at least in the conversation. And no. I would give you like all the examples of like really good guys with really bad teams that would win the MVP is like LeBron in in 09. Like his team was ass, but he was he was great. So that's why he won the MVP. Or LeBron in 18. <laughs> What? LeBron in 18 when they went to the finals with a terrible team. Like, if you're good enough, the team's not going to be that terrible. Yeah, there's just no way an MVP isn't on one of the 16 best teams in the league. That's another key point is that more than half of the teams in the league are making the playoffs. So we're not even talking about, like— But I would not—I would dis, I would disagree that the top 16 teams are making the playoffs. That's just not how it works. Like, the last—the 11th place— West team is probably like the fifth place East team. Okay, but the like, there's no world in which the eleventh place West team is also the home to the MVP. Let me give you another example. This one from baseball: the year the Astros won the World Series, allegedly, or I guess asterisk is more appropriate than allegedly. Spoken asterisk. The Astros won the World Series. There's the Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge MVP debate. And some of the advanced stats people were trying to make the case that because their numbers were pretty similar war-wise, Judge was actually the better player that year. And Bill James, well-known godfather of all things advanced stats, pointed out that it's a bit silly to suggest that Aaron Judge was as valuable as Altuve based on those numbers because his team didn't win enough. So clearly he wasn't actually contributing those wins that advanced stats kind of objectively suggested he did. I think that like the conversation's much tougher in baseball, but I also think that baseball's allowed us to be more okay with, with like your, the MVP not being on a good team. But should we be? I don't know. Like in baseball, you can be hitting amazingly. Like, you could have an OPS over one, but your team still sucks, you know? But you're absolutely dominant. Right. And that's why King Felix won all those Cy Youngs. Yeah, so I think... He probably had MVP votes multiple You can achieve individual excellence in baseball to the tune of being the best player in the sport, but your team needs 10, like, needs... Of plenty of other guys on the roster to actually play, to be anything. Whereas in basketball, if you're making an argument of being a top five guy in the league, like you need to be in the playoffs, period. So you have no problem with a Mike Trout winning an MVP in baseball? Yeah, I'm like wondering though if that's just more because I'm used to it, but. He's also like statistically the most – he's the best baseball player and making a huge impact on his team. 
Right, but it's to so the the. So advantage, what if you're the best basketball player making a huge impact on your team? You're saying that that person is definitely on an above average team and making the playoffs. Yeah, because in basketball, making a huge impact is like the impact one person can make in a basketball game is like ten times the impact a person can make in a baseball game. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm completely with you there. I think the question remains, though, is that it's the thing that, like, advanced stats people will throw back at you, like, oh, I know how, like, uh, added value works. It's If your team didn't make the playoffs, then it's zero. And, like, I don't think anyone would necessarily say that, but I do think it's fair to que- – I think it's a fact that anyone who's watched sports for any amount of time would agree with that it's easier to be a good player on a bad team than a good one. Yeah, uh, but that's also much more true in basketball than it is in baseball. Right, but I think it's uh, it's it's less likely in basketball, to your point, based on the impact an individual person can have, that your team would be bad if you are that good. But I think it's no less true that it, right, like the Detroit Red Wings were the worst team in the NHL of the salary cap era, or at least on pace to be that, and now maybe they won't end up getting there. So credit to them, but. Um, they still have guys who are putting up points because someone has to do it. Yeah. There's going to be someone on your roster who's doing it. In a sport like, like if you're in the NBA or NHL and the pace of the game and the skill level of the average player, you can say someone's going to score 30 points a game if you have to, because you're, you're 12 NBA players, you know, you're 20 NHL players. You're going to put points on the board, but in baseball, you still have to go up against starters every night. Like teams would want to shut you out if they can. So you're individually going up against the exact same competition at the same pace as everyone else. Yeah, I guess the case against it would just be that it almost doesn't matter at all. That like essentially anything that happens in your game is meaningless. Though, which isn't to diminish the degree of difficulty on the task itself. And I'm not even sure I agree with what I'm saying right now. I just think the the counterpoint is essentially just devaluing anything that happens. Because, you know, if you'd like – what I think the case that someone who opposes that line of thinking would make is what if you took Mike Trout off the Angels? Like they go from a 60-win team to a 50-win team. Who cares? That's not a meaningful difference. Yeah, but that's the case for any single baseball player. Right. Like you can take the like you take uh, Yelich out of Milwaukee and for twenty five games they're great. Like that just doesn't mean that Yelich wasn't an MVP type player on that team. It just means that the team like MVP just doesn't mean as much in baseball. I think is a bigger point. We're like That's- sure you're MVP, but like what the fuck? Like who cares? Like that's. I don't know. Maybe that's just me interpreting baseball the way, like, that's just how I interpret it. I don't know. I think that the idea of getting someone's best shot night in, night out is applicable in basketball as well, no? And arguably more so when you're on a bad team because not only are you facing a single person going against you, you're getting double or triple teams every time you touch the ball, and you also have to put the go to the rim every time because you're the only one who can reliably 
uh, create your own shot. I think the yeah. thing with basketball, though, is when it's such a long season and if you're on a terrible team, even if you're getting the primary object of the other team's attention or you are the primary object of the other team's attention, you're still – it's more likely than not that that team is not going to be bringing it in the same way against you as they will against the team they're competing for the division with. It's that and it's that. That may be fair, but – you're also not just – it's not just that you're the primary focus of attention. It's that you're the only focus of attention, that they're sending second and third guys to go double or triple every single time you touch the ball. So I don't, I don't think that happens in the NBA as much, but I also think – Look at Bradley Beal. No, you've got to guard all those guys on, on Washington. They all can shoot. Like the point is I think – that every no matter what's happening in the NBA, you're, you're taking 85 shots. Like, that's just the math. To every single team that Bradley Field faces would rather let anyone else shoot the ball than Bradley Field. I don't think they would be doubling him at team. every opportunity and force the ball into the other people's hands. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think you – like, the Wizards have a great offense. The offense, everyone can play. That's not their issue. Like, they're putting up top 10 points in the league. But it's everyone else. But I think the Just bigger thing. Just wait till John Wall comes back. That's all I have to say on the Wizards. The biggest thing to me is like you have like someone has to take like eighty five shots. And if you're the best player on a bad team, you're taking twenty twenty five shots a game. Like these are Zach so, type numbers. And you can okay. twenty six points a game and look, you know, like you can actually lead a team. But it's just because someone has to take those shots. Okay, can you so think you're of someone being that? Hang on, you're assuming that anyone like that has like a low field goal percentage. What if someone's shooting you know close to fifty percent from the field? My, this is just my thing, Danny. Like you have players like 2009 Dwayne Wade, averaged 35 points a game and brought a shitty team to a five seed, right? But that's like a five seed in the playoffs. And then you have a guy 26 points a game, Zach Levine. Or you have another guy that's um, like 30 points a game, Brad Beal. Or you have whoever else it is, and they can be putting up huge fucking numbers, but their teams are garbage. And you know what you call those guys? All-stars. And like they're not MVPs because their teams aren't good. You just can't – it doesn't make any sense in basketball. But I think that's an interesting. So, what do you say to the fact that there has been an MVP in basketball for a sub 500 team that didn't make the playoffs? I think that's just a bad choice. <laughs> it was Kareem Abdul Jabbar in 75 76 who had career highs in rebounds, blocks, and assists. I feel comfortable so, not caring about that yeah, 75 like, 76 MVP in the slightest. I feel so comforted in just saying that was the wrong choice. Without any other research, it's pretty clear that it was the wrong choice. I think AJ's – the point you made about Wade, though, is an interesting layer because is all we care about the playoffs? Because that feels like a somewhat arbitrary distinction because ultimately you could be the five seed in the West and really have – or the East, rather, and really have no better chance at actually winning the thing. And should that be ultimately what matters? Uh, and that – the I don't know if Dwayne Wade won the MVP in the season you're describing. No, but that I, kind I, of MVP – uh, certainly in the NHL, we get a lot where it's that the sort of Taylor Hall two years ago, you were on a team that sucked. You played out of your mind. You made the playoffs barely. We're going to toss you the MVP because you were dope. 
And I think Nathan McKinnon could easily have made the same case that year. And even last year. I don't, I don't have an issue with that, with that MVP necessarily. Like that's what a James Harden MVP is or what Russ Westbrook MVP is on a team that like don't really think they're going to make the finals, but they were just, they were the reason their teams were considered good or those teams were playoff teams. So if, if I ask you who is the MVP, ir- irrespective of like actual people involved, would you say the MVP is the best player in the league? The MVP is the best player in the league whose team makes the playoffs. Like, where would you, what would you say? Like, I would say, like, who had, it's like a very, I'm going to give you a terrible answer, but my answer would be like, who had the best season? Like, all considered their team being good and them being individually, like, great. So that would be essentially who's the best player in the league that season which in the particular context of the NBA, you're saying also means they definitely made the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I, that's definitely something I believe. Like, you can't have been the best player in the league that season if your team didn't make the playoffs. And so for that reason, you would feel but comfortable you can with be. a Trout winning MVP what? in baseball. Because he could but, be the best player for that season and his team is bad. Yes. Very easily in baseball. Yeah, yeah I think the logic is, is there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Danny, you're what what would you say? Who is the best player or sorry, who is the MVP? How would you describe the MVP is the player that is the most valuable player to their team. So I would say that's a good So you're saying like the biggest drop off with them versus without them? Like the highest war always gets MVP? No, I don't necessarily think it's all a nerd stats thing. Because I think that there's, especially in basketball, there's the idea of having to either take the best player on the other team on defense, and there's the idea of drawing double teams, as I talked about earlier, and there's the idea of, like, just because... No, I think it's a combination of being sort of the drop-off with a good season. So like, how does you that, put up? Sorry, go ahead. How does that relate to your second best teammate? So would you be the kind of person who would be disinclined to vote for Connor McDavid on the grounds that Drysidle was so good this year, or vice versa, even? Like, does the fact Absolutely. that they have two MVP candidates on yeah, the I same team you that, couldn't vote for? Them? That, Absolutely, you can't be. Is that he's saying it's the most valuable guy on? their team when really the question is who's the most valuable guy in the league. So like you got to say the most valuable Suns team probably isn't going to be the most valuable on the Warriors. Let's go to the NHL. The perfect example of my argument is Artemi Panarin. (laughs) I think Artemi Panarin should win the MVP this year because he is having A, an insane season and B, playing with shit linemates and see the team would be nowhere near as good as it is with him. And I think that even if the Rangers miss the playoffs, I still think that Panarin is my MVP choice in the NHL. Uh, and yeah. But how did, I mean, Zibanejad's had an incredible year as well. Even if they aren't on the same miss- line all the time. A, they haven't played on the same line. 
But he, McDavid and Drysaddle mid- don't at five on five either, usually anymore. He beats the bandage out has missed a ton of time this year. He still has forty goals. He hasn't missed that yeah, much. Yeah, in like thirty-five games or something. He has not like scored that. forty goals in thirty. All right, I'm going to his hockey reference page. But the fact that your answer is layered into Panarin deserving the MVP suggests that you would have a different answer next year if it might mean Frankie Smokes could win MVP. He's played 57 games this year. Out of 70. Okay, so he missed 13 games. He missed, you know, one out of every six. It's not that many games. Yes, not super significant. And it looks like they've played under uh, – they, they've played exactly 70 games. That was good mental math by me right there. The total game count was not listed. Okay. Well, it seems like we've arrived at something of a conclusion, if not a consensus. <laughs> I don't think Danny agrees with this, but that's just kind of what he's doing right now. You're, you're doing horrible things with your microphone right now. I don't know what it is, me? but that was ex- – yeah, you. That was extremely shuffling. That yeah, that's better. All right. So the point of that was just I feel like with stuff like MVP or Hall of Fame, we never have the conversation as like what is a Hall of Famer or what is an MVP without concern for the immediate season. You know what I mean? Like it would be pretty weird. And in a lot of ways, it wouldn't make sense to say like these are the things that Hall of Famers have to have done statistically. But it does make some sense to say like this is what their relationship to the game should be. People sometimes make the case that a Hall of Famer is like someone who you couldn't tell the story of the sport without, which I think is just not a real That's argument at all. Difficult. Because then it's like, well, how specific are you being about the story? Like you could work all sorts of people in, depending on how much you care about, and you're not making a real distinction there. But that was the point yeah, of this question. Hall, I think the Hall of Fame. We don't need game, to jump into the whole Hall of Fame right I now. I think it's a much more difficult debate, and I'm not really trying to get into it. Yeah. The right. thing I'll say about the Hall of Fame is that the Baseball Hall of Fame is the only one that matters. Does the Baseball Hall of Fame still matter, Danny? One word answer. Yeah. AJ, one word answer. Nothing baseball related matters if the Astros don't have that asterisk next to their name. That was not a one word answer, but that was a good answer nonetheless. All right, we're going to move on from MVPs and Hall of Fames. So a few weeks ago, we'll tie back in the Rangers here, or maybe it was a few days ago. I honestly have no idea at this point. Danny and I were going back and forth about the uh, Rangers' relationship to the salary cap. And one of the things I mentioned to him was that the NHL is due for a new TV deal, I think not next year, but the following year. And it will be interesting to see how they manage the cap because it seems as though the NBA feels, in retrospect, that it was a mistake to – use the TV deal to have a massive one-year spike in the cap and that they probably should have sort of smoothed it so that that leap happened gradually over several years. And I bring this up to Danny, and Danny says back to me, well, I'm sure they'll do that. Like, they'll figure that out, and the cap's going to go up steadily over several years. And that was just a great moment for the two of us because I love that Danny's been getting into hockey, but it was a great reminder that he has not been an NHL fan long because he thought that the NHL would just make the logical choice and do the smart thing without having some sort of extreme catastrophe preceding that. And to that point, the NHL has arrived at an interesting conclusion, which is they released a, 
uh, Elliot Friedman's column last week, 31 Thoughts, he talked about the NHL's new proposal for having the draft. And he noted at the beginning of the column that even though they called this a proposal, the NHL doesn't do the thing that Adam Silver is the king of, where he throws out an idea he really has no significant interest in doing, and he just gauges public opinion on it. The NHL doesn't do that. So they've put out this proposal, but Elian Friedman made it clear that this isn't just a proposal. It's pretty much just what they're going to do. And the NHL has decided that rather than waiting until it concludes the season to hold the draft, they're going to have the draft on June 5th. And you might say to that, well, why would you do that? And it's a great question, and perhaps the best part of it, the NHL's offered no explanation whatsoever as to what makes sense about it. <laughs> so, well, so, you know exactly what happened. Was they looked at the NFL draft, and they were like, oh, shit, everyone's talking about this. We should do this, too. Right. So that was the case. It's like, oh, people are missing sports. We know how to fill this void. But <laughs> disappointingly for me to admit, the fact of the matter is the NHL draft is by no means appointment viewing even in this situation. Like if people weren't going to watch NBA players play horse, they're absolutely not going to watch the NHL GM's draft on Zoom. And because the draft will be happening before the end of the season, it'll be an even more boring draft than usual because there aren't going to be any trades with players. And that's kind of the best part of the draft after the first couple picks. So, <laughs> And they'll shove it on NBC Sportsnet and five people will watch it. Disappointingly, I think it's usually on the NHL network, actually. <laughs> they don't even go okay, to Sportsnet. Yeah. I mean, it's on, it, I'm going to watch it when it happens on June 5th, assuming that is what ends up happening. But it's just classic NHL that they've, they've insisted that this is what they need to do for no real reason. They have no sense of their place within the, the sporting culture. And they're going to bungle this, and it's going to be a boring product. But, you know, you I totally are. agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I think that something that scares me about the proposal is how they're talking about uh, trades with conditional picks. You know, there's a lot of things like, oh, you know, we'll give you a third rounder, but it's a second rounder if, you know, we win two playoff rounds. Right. And what the, the way that they've outlined how it's going to work is like, okay, if the league will decide well, like, what, what it will be, and then you can either agree to that or renegotiate something else. Which, like, in, first off, what? Wow. <laughs> Second, like, what if one team agrees because it's kind of a good shake for them, the other team disagrees because they feel like they get screwed over. None of these things will stand. It's just a way – it's just going to create absolute chaos. Right, and you will also have situations where there's a pick for this draft that's contingent on a player re-signing or not re-signing. So you just mm -hmm. don't do that extension regardless of whether you have any intention of doing it later on at this point or that re-signing. And you don't have to give up the pick in this draft, and it would seem ridiculous if they made you give it up in the following run because you already gave up a pick in this previous draft. Absolutely. So it's uh, no part of it makes any sense. <laughs> okay. Now, let's say you want the draft to be held in June. Mm-hmm. How would you do it? Like, what would you change to the proposal on hand to make it better? I just wouldn't do it in June. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, the fact that AJ is currently just checking his phone right now is a great piece of evidence to suggest that 
the casual sports fan or even the the hardcore sports fan but not an NHL fan is going to pay no attention to this whatsoever. <laughs> so if that's the point of doing it, there's no reason to do it now. And if you're trying to like give something to your fans, I think you got to come up with something else. Like actually a pretty funny thing that's been going on is like I think it's been called Stuck with the Kachucks or something. But they have Matthew and Brady Kachuk, who are brothers and the son of American hockey legend Keith Kachuk. Um, they're doing, like, playing ping pong against each other or, like, playing horse with a hockey net in their basement. And, like, those kind of videos, yeah, like, crank out that kind of content. The draft, unless you're bailing on the rest of the season, does not make any sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I also think that they should reopen the trade deadline right now. Reopen the trade market to trade. <laughs> so... <laughs> That doesn't really make any sense to me, but (laughs) if you're already doing this, the kicker on the draft thing is they've also decided for reasons unknown that they're going to change up the way that they do the lottery so that instead of having it weighted between, I think, the bottom four teams of teams with a chance at the top pick so that the team with the best odds could end up picking fourth, Detroit this year will have no chance to pick worse than second. And it's like... Well, that I don't really care whether it's one way or the other, but why are you changing that midway through this season? Yeah, or look at the Rangers, who had a 6% chance of going to the top three and now have a less than 1% chance of moving up to ninth. Right. Like, <laughs> it just – and like the switch that you make is from points to points percentage, right, if you end up with a regular season with an uneven game total. And that's easy, yeah. a layup move, and yet – no, 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 no. The well, thing the, yeah. that the NHL has decided to do is just change up the lottery odds for no apparent reason. No, it's because they think they're going to have a 2014 playoff, and so you can't have a playoff team also in the lottery, like also but in the top three. My case to that is why can't you have that? Like why – if your team is so bad that you're in contention for the lottery and you go on a heater and win the cup, like that's not inconceivable to me. You could – it's certainly very unlikely, but hockey's a wonky sport. I mean, it's a bit like baseball. If you if the playoffs had 24 teams in them and were some sort of short format, especially in the early rounds, you'd see teams at the bottom of the ladder get hot at the right time and win. Hockey certainly got that going on. That team's still bad. It would just be kind of cool if they like won the lottery and the cup in the same year. Yeah, except you know what happened to Chicago. It's, that is the thing. But I think they're... The proposal they did most recently for the 24, it was a Mark Spector article, who's this Oilers reporter for Sportsnet that everyone hates and dunks on all the time. And he had this playoff format that somehow it was like 24 teams, but it didn't include the Sabres or the Blackhawks. And maybe one other Canadian team was right on the bubble. And was like, why the fuck would the league do this wacky-ass thing and not get its two biggest or two of its biggest U.S. markets involved in this thing? You're saying that Buffalo is one of the biggest U.S. markets? For hockey watching, it is. Buffalo's usually, like, on the national playoff hockey broadcasts, which never involve the Sabres. Buffalo's usually, like, third or fourth. And it's usually the two local teams in, like, Boston and Pittsburgh and New York are up there. Too bad that uh, Buffalo sucks. Yeah, it really sucks for the league that the Sabres aren't good. It's a damn shame. And Eichel, potentially in the camp you've described of elite player who had an elite season on a team that sucked. What do you do with that? Who's to say? But we already said, so actually we're to say. And we said it earlier. 
So I guess the point of this whole NHL draft thing is the content vacuum that we're currently living in as far as live sports go. And that brings me to the awakening of Korean baseball live games starting at 1 a.m. Uh, Korean baseball organization, I guess, is what the O stands for on ESPN. Yeah. As a podcast, where do we stand on this? Are we interested at all? Do we plan on watching it all? How do we feel? You want me to start? Yeah, why don't you start, yeah. AJ? We haven't heard from you in a while. Well, hockey talk, you know, is in my wheelhouse completely. <laughs> um, in terms of this Korean baseball, I don't think I'll watch any of it, to be perfectly honest. Like I, the one a.m. start is tough. That's very tough. Like I, oh, you think? Because it's basically not live sports. I enjoy live baseball just because I think it's nice to sit outside and like watch a game go by. But like I don't really love TV baseball product all that much unless it's like I'm delirious just scrolling through the channels. And then they're like, oh, Monday Night Baseball's on. And you just figure you got nothing else to watch except, like, Tim Kirchin shooting the shit with someone. Or the NHL draft. How excited would you be if the MLB is what came back as opposed to the Korean? I would be slightly more excited because I feel like the times would work better. Yeah. But wouldn't watch more than – I might watch the Marlins, but that would probably get old after a while. And then I might watch like some of the really good games, but I wouldn't be dedicated to the product like I would be if there was football or basketball on. Well, that's obvious, but I'm just kind of gauging your. Yeah, no, like I don't love baseball that much. Yeah, no, I'm I'm more interested in your your feelings about the sports vacuum slash the relate. Basically, it sounds like baseball. You like I would. I would prefer. Like almost any other sport, come back. I like think the, the case like if there was tennis every day, like good tennis, I'd watch that. But I wouldn't watch baseball. The thing about baseball is, I think it's very enjoyable. To I had a Korean league game that was on a delay. It had aired last night, but it was on from like two to four on ESPN, and I was watching that or two to five, I guess, this afternoon for a while. Because I do think baseball, like just having it on your TV for several hours during the summer or a spring and like sometimes you're watching it sometimes you're not i almost don't even care at all that it's the korean league as opposed to the major leagues other than that i don't really know any of the players that's the biggest change but i and there is merit to just having baseball on in the background but it's something that i could live with or without without seeing much of a difference in my enjoyment that's fair yeah uh I don't really care enough about baseball. And to be frank, like, I'll wait. I don't Are you looking forward really... to seeing Mookie come to San Francisco all the time? Remember that yeah, he got yeah. traded for a bag of yeah, jelly yeah. donuts? I said, are you looking forward to seeing Mookie come to San Francisco all the time now that he's in L.A.? And my follow-up was, remember, he got traded for a bag of jelly donuts. <laughs> and cap space, except it's not a hard cap sport. I never really have understood. I, I'm, that I'm that not going to respond to that. <laughs> It'll be great to see him all the time. You think he's going to wear well, 50? Well, the coronavirus, I'm not going to see him at all this year. So, That's you know. a good point. That's a good point. Tough. So, Sam, are you saying you would watch this Korean baseball? I mean, yeah. I'm not. 
I'm not at the point where I'm like following a team, but I watched I, the game was on for a while for me today, and I just enjoy watching baseball. Like I didn't super. I would if I'm walking around. Like this has happened to me before, where I'm like walking. You come to a public park or whatever. You see even a little league game going on. I'll watch an inning or two. I just enjoy watching baseball quite a bit, and it's like. My enjoyment of the game has very little to do with the people playing it in such a way that I – like I certainly would not be interested in the Korean Basketball League if that were on right now. I love I, – yeah, I think live baseball is great like in any, in any circumstance. It's just like nice to sit outside and kind of take it all in. But I don't think that – like the TV product doesn't do it for me in the same way. Like I can't watch little league baseball championships, you know, the little league world series is a great television event. That's honestly your loss. That's like, I don't, among I don't the most guys, entertaining sports. My name's TV. Big Al and I hit dingers. <laughs> yeah. Big Al is the best. Yeah. The little league world series. Yeah. It's great TV. It's not great TV. Yes, it, has, it like, is, dude. When the coach is the kid's dad and he's like hamming it up for the camera about how much he just cares about the kids and he's proud of them. And it's like, okay, guy. And then they catch him in the dugout swearing at somebody. <laughs> I honestly don't think it's a good TV product at all. You know what's even crazier though? This is just something that I learned from watching it today. So they were listing like different health precautions that the KBO has taken to reopen. And it was like, Daily tests, um, wearing masks and gloves off the field. And then the last couple were like, <laughs> high fives are discouraged. <laughs> and the very last one was no spitting. Imagine yeah. how crazy it would be to watch a Major League Baseball game where not a single person spit once. It's impossible. You couldn't they reopen. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't how reopen Major League Baseball. Dip? But even if it's not dip, it's like it's sunflower seeds or it's just spit. And it's happening. You never are watching a baseball broadcast for more than like 30 seconds without someone spitting. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> All right. Those are just facts. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it seems like we've exhausted the KBO. So <laughs> the other... Besides the KBO, so if you're ranking ESPN products right now, it's KBO 1, Last Dance 2. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. AJ, you had a question about the last hit. Have you guys noticed the transitions? I prepared for this. I had the content vacuum thing, and then I had the ESPN bridge. I wrote those things both down with some arrows, just in case you were wondering. That was my only notes, but I wrote that down with the arrows. So, AJ, you had a question about the last dance. Yeah, I mean, The Last Dance kind of touched on this, and it's always been hinting around it, but, like, Jordan as a bad teammate, the concept of that. And my question is, like, at what point, like, is being, like, an asshole okay? Like, how good do you have to be to make up for being an asshole? Like, your teammates. Danny, do you want the first bite at this apple? Yeah. Goal is to win a championship. And if you find people who are okay with an asshole teammate, great. Like, if you find another asshole who's like, yeah, I just want to win. Like, I don't give a shit. Then, fine. Who cares? Personally, like, 
don't know. I think asshole teammates turn into either love them on your team, hate them on the other team guys, or guys who can't win because no one wants to play with them, or they're Michael Jordan, and it's just going to be how it is. But don't you feel like the fact that that range exists points to the sort of fallacy that Jordan is good because he's hyper-competitive and is an asshole? Like, I just don't subscribe to that whole theory. Like, certainly he's competitive, Jordan's and that's an advantage. Good. But I think the this whole case gets made that he's, like, part of the reason he's good is that he was such an asshole in such a way that calling him an asshole almost isn't even an insult because it's just kind of reaffirming what supposedly makes him great. And I just don't subscribe to any of that. Like, you could be an asshole and be really good, or you could be an asshole and be Jimmy Butler. You uh, Yeah, and you also don't have to be an asshole to work really hard and want to win. Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. So Like, I, I just think that, like... For me, when you think of like assholes, like, like there's no doubt that MJ was an asshole. But to me, like, I just don't care because he was great. Where it's I like, think you don't care because you didn't watch basketball in the nineties. What do you mean? Like, I bet you, if you were a nineties basketball fan, you would care a whole lot that MJ was an asshole. No, I just feel like. I would be like, well, he's an asshole, but he can get away with it because he's so good. Whereas, like, I'd be a lot more upset at a player. Like Jimmy Butler, for example. Jimmy Butler's been proven right, (laughs) can I say for the record. All right. (laughs) And second of all, like, I'm thinking of a player that's just, like, stories come out about him where he's putting his teammates down, whatever, whatever, but the team is middling. Like, it's just a whatever team. Like that. Oh, so a better team than say the Minnesota Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler on them. Let's just say Jimmy was proven right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just think it's interesting because I feel like typically I would find myself being someone who would care a lot if someone's an asshole, but I really don't care about Jordan being an asshole because he was that good. Right, and you're not doing the thing that I'm saying I find stupid which is suggesting that it was be- there's a correlation between him being an asshole and him being successful. Whereas- oh, yeah. I think all of that where it's like, ooh, the, comp- the competitive personality slipped over into every part of life. Like, I just – like, that's not a good thing for me. Like, that's just you being an asshole all the time. <laughs> right. Well, and we talked about Jordan's gambling as another sort of vector of this. And this was before the documentary started talking about it in these last two episodes. And I think the the guy who first brought – was it the center, Weddington? Bill Weddington, I think, was the first one who brought it up. And he made the point that like – and Jordan even says it himself in one of the interviews. Like it wasn't a gambling problem. It was a competition problem. And like that's just the alpha dog that I was. And it just all gets used. And that's been the thing that I haven't loved about the documentary is that it's just this – entirely one note portrayal of Jordan who based on the way they're portraying him is not at all a complex character. And yet, well, first off, we're it's in the midst not of a, a documentary. documentary. It's an MJ commercial. I thought that surprisingly, I thought that that Simmons and Rosillo had a good take on this where basically they were saying everything that Jordan said was like what you would expect a gambling addict to say. To yeah. Oh, absolutely. When he's like, I can stop anytime I want. Like that's 
Addict 101 <laughs> is I can stop anytime that I want. That's- so like, I don't I think the doc was trying to make him seem like he was gambling just because he was bored and whatever and like he didn't have any sort of problem or that like his competition problem wasn't really a problem, but he came off as like, dude, you're betting on fucking these quarters with the security guards. Well, I think that speaks to the asshole thing that one of the things I find most interesting about the documentary is that I, based on what I've seen, it doesn't seem like he was friends with a single person that he ever played with. And I get that the whole team is not going to be best friends, but it's fascinating that like the only people who Jordan like had a relationship with off the court and I'm not saying he didn't have any relationship whatsoever with his teammates, but it's he's hanging out with these four like weirdo security guys because he's just like not really vibing with anyone else. No, I think that's a really good point. Like you don't yeah. hear a single person in that documentary say something about Jordan as like their friend or as a person. It's just like he was a great competitor, man, best basketball player in the world. Which but feels very Tiger Woodsy. I feel like Magic, though, was getting close. It seemed like him and Magic had something a little more. But it felt like that was more of like a mutual respect of being in this elite tier of basketball players. That definitely could be it. But I think that Magic also wanted to build a relationship with him because of that. Well, also, like... You, me, and Larry, and like those are the three best by like a long shot in their era. Right. But also, like... I don't see how you would be friends with Jordan. Like, let's take the dream team, right? Christian Leitner wasn't hanging out with Jordan off the court. Hang on. When Drexler, like, the media says, oh, Drexler, you know, he's better than Jordan because he can shoot threes. And Jordan, you know, beats him in the finals pretty soundly. And then they go to the dream team together, and Jordan continues to just pick on Drexler on and off the floor until the rest of the team has to be like, yo, cool it. Like, stop. And I think that that, I, yeah, he sounds like an absolute asshole. And, you know, I, who would want to be friends with that guy? Yeah. I mean, I, it, based on his behavior, it doesn't seem – he's been divorced at least once. Is that right? No idea. That's interesting. Yeah, I have no clue either. I thought he'd been – but I guess I have no clue. Um, the other piece of – Last Dance uh, coverage that I want to bring up okay. is the fact that Mark Jackson is an absolute idiot. <laughs> Are you referring to his um, 10 years Warriors coach? No, I'm referring to his appearance on our namesake show, uh, I believe today, where he um, he talked about, he was like, oh, you know, there are these teams that are not right. You know, they're championship teams, but they don't win a championship because they run into one of the greatest players of uh, all time. You know, like the late '90s Jazz teams, or you know those early '90s Knicks teams, or those pit, those Pacers teams, or like you know the Cavs in 2017 when they ran into the Warriors, or the Warriors when they ran into the Cavs. And it's like, dude, what? <laughs> I mean, that's a wide gambit of, of teams he just ran through. and I, I, agree with, I, I agree with Danny here. Like, what's the point of talking about the teams that didn't win, you know? Like you, we especially used, if you name two teams who won and beat each other. 
Why, yeah, and I think the idea of, like, titles coming with an asterisk just doesn't age well at all. Like, people who are like, well, is it a legitimate championship for the Raptors because all those Warriors guys got hurt? And I just think, like, that's just kind of part of it. Like, yeah, I agree with The you. reason like, that the playoffs are compelling is because the best team doesn't necessarily win. Rings talk. Rings do talk. Well, and it also, that kind of talk reminds me of an infamous uh, Brian McClellan press conference. He was the GM of the Caps, and after they got eliminated by the Penguins in 2017, he talked about how it was like they had had a championship hangover except they didn't win the championship because they like pushed all the chips in to go after the title. And then they kept losing to the penguins, but then they won the cup that same year. So it was a perfect recipe. They went from hungover to victorious, more hungover. We're not going to fucking suck this year. Yeah. Oh, he knows. You want to talk about a champion? Someone who plays with joy, brings it every night. Alexander Ovechkin. Carmelo Anthony. Not Carmelo Anthony. (laughs) Certainly not Carmelo Anthony. (laughs) Tell that to his four Olympic medals. <laughs> Mr. Olympics. He Has should... he ever been the best player on an Olympic team? No. Can't be. Because no way the best player was Wade. And then, I don't know who that was best. That seems like it was wrong, but I don't, I don't no, know enough true. to disagree. No, that's true. Like, you... <laughs> best player on that team bald weight <laughs> i don't know about that I, I look it up 2008 i'm looking up the 2008 olympic basketball team right now but that seems unlikely i think the thing carmelo's got a the mistake he I made is that more. carmelo that should have made a case early on that the olympics should also have like a a three-point shootout and other stuff that you can get medals in so that he could be in like the phelps league <laughs> where you just rack up medals based on all the different events you can compete in in the same year. And he needed to be doing that to really cement his legacy as Mr. Olympics. What a terrible legacy. And I'm looking at the team, and it looks like Kobe was the best player. So I, And You're LeBron was also the on the team. You're just looking at the team. Yeah, and that's all I needed to know. Look at – okay. I'm not going to talk to, about like who was better in 0809 between Wade and Kobe because that's actually an argument to be had. But let's look at these stats if we can, if this is good radio. Well, if you can pull them up quickly, then I'd say it's good radio. How quickly are you going to be able to pull them up? I mean, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the stats, and Dwayne Wade's line was 16 points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, and LeBron's line was... 15 and a half points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals, and a block. So LeBron, pretty unequivocally better than Dwayne Wade. Uh, Emphasis on pretty, but yeah. (laughs) Again, I don't think you were watching these games as intently as I was. I wasn't watching these games at all, if that factors into this. But Wade was the best player in that Olympics. I'm just looking for the Olympics where Mello was actually crazy impactful. I mean, either way, Mello was clearly not the best team. And then 2012, he averaged 16, but Durant averaged 19. And then 16, he averaged 12, and Durant averaged 19. So I don't really know 
Like, if where's Dwayne Wade on this 2016 team, AJ? I play. I don't, I don't think he, he played. In where's Dwayne Wade on the 2012 team, AJ? He was. Like, a- the point he's about Carmelo is that he's like up there amongst top scorers for three straight Olympics. I mean, because Dwayne Wade's way better than Carmelo Anthony. Are we? We're not debating that. It's because Melo never got deep in the playoffs, so he always had fresh legs for the Olympics. Tell that to uh, Syracuse, Melo. <laughs> Good point. It's not Melo's fault that the Knicks don't know how to run a franchise. It's kind of his fault. I generally like Melo, I would say, but he's definitely not as good as Wade. I, that's not a competition. All right. Well, it feels like we're ranting. Really? I'm not so sure. I would be willing to debate that. <laughs> but, Danny, you gotta... You defending some sort of Knicks thing is not a credible debate. <laughs> I'm just... The only thing I would point out is... Uh, who do you think Carmelo Anthony's best teammate was ever? Like, look at who he played with for his career. What? Kobe at the Olympics in 08. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I think that Melo, when you look at the people that Melo played with, it's either Amare on one leg, an old Tyson Chandler, or J.R. Smith on the, on the Nuggets, or maybe uh, way past his prime Allen Iverson. Like, those are the best guys that Carmelo ever played with. Dwayne, ha- Dwayne Wade had Shaq. And LeBron and uh, Chris Bosh. Like I'm gonna disagree with sure, you on you one can point. Say that Dwayne Wade had the better numbers over his career, but you also can't argue the fact that Melo had absolutely nothing to work with for his entire career. I don't think you can argue definitively that Allen Iverson has hit his prime yet. I think we may still see the best of Allen Iverson, either in the big three or like if Allen Iverson found a vaccine for coronavirus. I wouldn't be shocked by that. You don't know what he's up to these days. He's a wild card. He's a renaissance man. He's huge in China. <laughs> Not as big as the Starburys, though. Not as big as the Starburys. That's how you sell by volume. All right. We're approaching the hour mark here. Do we want to hit the NFL draft, or should we save it for next time? <laughs> AJ's on mute, but he doesn't really know it. Let, let's do that with Embiid and Simmons next week. All right, we'll do Embiid and Simmons. <laughs> the much-anticipated second-take Embiid versus Simmons debate. Um, all right, so that's the show for now. Thank you very much for listening. We apologize for the hiatus, but we can't guarantee that we'll fix it going forward. So, you know, you get what you get with this podcast. Thank you. Good night, everybody.